So just a word for our younger ones. I love, love this story. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. And you know how <clears throat> sometimes in churches we put on plays about some Bible stories, especially at Christmas time, there might be a play in the church and we come up with costumes for Mary and Joseph and maybe we have a real baby, maybe it's a doll, but we put on the nativity scene as a play in church. A lot of churches do that. I think that this gospel lesson would be a great play. And let's see, we could get Sherry to design some costumes for us, yay. Somebody would have to think of a set. Let's see, we'd have to have a boat. The boat would have to be able to rock a little bit. We'd have to hang stars from the ceiling because it was nighttime, so we'd wanna have it look like it's night. And what else would we need? We would need some sound. So we would need a lot of uh, thunder and maybe the lighting people could do crashes of lightning. So it looked like we were in the middle of the storm right with the disciples and with Jesus. Let's see, what else would we need from this story? We'd need a big pillow for Jesus to sleep on. And we might, oh, this could be fun. We might even have a lot of water around. And then we go around and we splash everybody when the storm gets really, really big, right? And then we have to have some good actors because the disciples have to be really afraid when the storm gets big. And then we have to have Jesus that calms everything down. So what do you think? Should we make this an annual tradition on this Sunday when we hear this story? I like the idea. <clears throat> and maybe you can help pull it off someday. Who knows? I love to read Bible stories this way, though, when you use your imagination and you begin to think about what it was like with Jesus and the people that he was with. In this case, the disciples and the storm that they were in. And let's see, there's always a lesson to be learned. And so I think in this story, one of the lessons that we learn is that sometimes we get afraid. So the disciples were afraid when they were with Jesus. And it makes me wonder if you've ever been afraid or if there's something that really frightens you all the time. I won't talk about my fear of bees, but someday maybe I will. And it's okay to be afraid. That's a human thing. And it's not just young people who are afraid. Older people have fears too. We all have fears. But the big message in this story is that when we're connected with Jesus like the disciples were, all we need to do is go to Jesus and say, we're afraid. And what did Jesus do when the disciples, they woke him up, but what did, they, what did Jesus do when they woke him up? He calmed the storm. The wind died down. The sea became still. 
and the storm was over. So the same thing can be true. When we have a fear, the first one we should go to always is Jesus, because Jesus walks with us all the time anyway. And then we can talk with other people about the storms that we go through in life. But I hope that this is a reminder that we have Jesus with us and that there can be a great deal of comfort and hope as we face all the fears and all the storms that life throws our way. And I hope you're thinking about how to put on that play because I still like that idea. This is our prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for being with us even during the storms of life. Thank you for helping us be um, uh, aware of your presence with us all the time and for giving us peace and hope in our lives. Amen. And for the older ones among us, uh, in his book called Letter to a Man in a Fire, cancer survivor Reynolds Price responds to a letter from a young medical student named Jim who had developed a life-threatening cancer. And in his letter to Reynolds Price, Jim writes, I want to believe in a God who cares because I may meet him sooner than I had expected. I think I am at the point where I can accept the existence of God, but I can't yet believe that God really cares about me. In his struggle with his raging storm of cancer, this young man could have taken the words right out of the mouths of the disciples when they cried out to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It is evening, which can be a scary time for people anyway. And the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. That can be a scary time also. And they are crossing the Sea of Galilee when this huge storm arises. The boat is beaten by the wind and the waves and it's filling up with water and the disciples really believe that the boat will sink. And all the while Jesus is in the stern asleep. He's untroubled by the storm, indifferent to the peril that is there and the fear that they have. These words might be our words as well. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? When we consider the personal tragedies that people face every day, maybe sometimes in our own lives, maybe we think of all of the crises around the world, we may wonder if Jesus really is asleep on the job. Pandemics, shooting sprees, wars, violent weather, illness, economic troubles, famine, death itself, 
These are the kinds of things that beat against our hopes and dreams and swamp us and our lives. And maybe they bring us to the point where we cry out, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? When I was the night minister, the most common question I heard almost every night was, why is God not listening to me? Why does God not seem to care that I'm struggling so much? In the face of all these things that we face each day, the Christian faith declares this, that God really does care for us. In fact, the creator of the heavens and the earth knows us by our name, knew us before we were even born and loves us no matter what. We are part of a created world. And when we consider the vast universe and our small place in it, it's an astonishing claim to make that God knows us and our needs and provides for us like a loving parent. In his book, Theology for a Troubled Believer, Diogenes Allen notes that understanding that we are not the center of all things, and that's hard for some people to hear, we are not the center of all things. If we know that, it helps give us perspective about our lives. We are material beings. We're part of a larger world. We're subject to the physical laws of nature. We're vulnerable to Ill injury, illness, decay, and death. Such awareness leads us to humility in the face of the wonder of the universe and the greatness of our Creator. But we are also spiritual beings. When confronted by this creator, Job, in spite of everything that's happened to him, finally grasps the greatness of God, the mystery and the goodness of God. In the midst of his suffering, even Job can declare, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth then from my flesh I shall see God. As Alan puts it, Job has found his way home the hard way, through the path of being reduced to nothing but his bare skin and bones. And then he is raised by God's Spirit to the soaring conviction that no matter what happens to him, he belongs to God, and that God will bring him to divine presence in glory. In addition to discovering our place in God's universe, Alan describes a second step. Trusting in God's loving care enables us to experience God even in the midst of suffering. 
This is the struggle that the disciples faced in the boat. They feel alone and abandoned by the one in whom they have put all their trust. When the early church told this story of the storm at the sea, they, like us, lived on this side of the resurrection. Yet they, like us, wondered, like we do, where is Jesus when the little boat of the early church is buffeted and rocked and beaten and almost destroyed in the stormy sea of the Roman Empire? We could ask ourselves this, where are we at Christ Church Lutheran? Where are we at Grace Lutheran Church in the midst of pastoral transition and all the changes that we've had to face in the last few years or the last few months? The story that we have today is a story to reassure even the church that Jesus is with us in our suffering, in our loss, even when we cannot immediately see Jesus or recognize Jesus in our midst. Reynolds Price tells of an 87-year-old woman who wrote to him about one of those moments in her life when, for her, the the clouds scattered, the darkness lifted, and she was able to see Jesus. She was facing her own difficulty, going through a lot of tests, medical tests, and she was preparing for surgery. And one day before this surgery, she had a vision, and she describes it this way. I went out along the Galilee hills and came to a crowd gathered around a man, and I stood on the outskirts intending just to listen. But that man looked over and saw me and said, what do you want? So I said to him, could you send someone to come with me and help me stand up after these tests because I can't manage alone? And then he, who was Jesus in her vision, thought for a moment, and then said, how would it be if I came? How would it be if Jesus came? This is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God has come to us in our suffering, in our pain, in our struggles to be human, in our fear and anxiety, in our doubt and uncertainty, in all the losses and the changes that life throws toward us each day. Jesus put off deity and put on humanity. He became one with us, one of us, and one for us. As the psalmist said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. So that even when it seems like we're in a living hell, even there God is with us. When the terrified disciples cried out to Jesus, he answers them by calming the wind and stilling the sea. They do not yet fully understand that the one who loves them is Lord, not only of their lives, but of all of nature, of all of creation. Jesus will teach them how to live and how to die in faith. Jesus will teach them by example. Jesus does not refuse the cross, but accepts it in faith. Jesus knows betrayal and disappointment and grief and torture and death, yet Jesus commits his own human life to God and finds perfect peace suspended on that cross hanging between heaven and earth. And the resurrection of Jesus is the true sign that we have everything Jesus said and that everything he says and did is true. Jesus does care. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some times of danger and suffering. And we know this, right? The day comes when we face our own death. But through the storms of life, we are held by the love of the one whom even the wind and the waves obey. Just as the disciples experienced peace and calm after Jesus enters their fears, so will we. And that's the good news of the day. Amen.